This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. The reason why you're a Nick fan that you probably feel as good about their chances, even with Randall nicked up a little bit, is because you have Brunson. This isn't like a couple of years ago when you sit there and just bite your fingernails and say, oh, now what? On this roster right now, who's the guy that's the best playoff performer? It's Jalen Brunson. Not Julius Randall. It's Jalen Brunson. Right? We saw what the guy did last year wearing a Dallas Mavericks uniform. So I'm fully confident that there isn't going to be any sort of drop-off whatsoever from the guy that we saw in the regular season, who, by the way, was named a finalist for the NBA Most Improved Player Award. I don't know if he's going to win it, though. They're probably going to give it to SGA down in Oklahoma City, but Brunson is the most important, Nick. I've said it all year, and I'm not moving away from that. The Dan Grosser Show. Randall might be the best player. Jalen Brunson is the most important player. On 98.7 ESPN. We are going to explore all things NBA playoffs with our next guest. He is the outstanding host on SiriusXM's NBA radio. He is my good friend, Brian Geltziler, who's kind enough to give us a couple of minutes here on the program. BG, long time no chat, buddy. How are things, my friend? Hello, Danny. How are we doing today? Oh, no complaints whatsoever. And I know that you're jacked up for this to get started here. We all are. Let's get right into a, a little Knicks Cavaliers talking because you know what? Knicks in the playoffs, it doesn't happen that often in these parts, as you well know. Um, is it as simple when breaking down this series as what the health slash availability of Julius Randle is going to be for these seven games? No, not at all. And, and no? it's interesting. Like I, I heard, I heard a clip from you just now as we were coming in. We talked about Brunson being the most important player in the Knicks this season. I don't know that I totally agree with you on that, but I do. I will say this: he's the most important player in the Knicks in this series because ultimately he's the guy Cleveland struggled with in the regular season. He's the guy Cleveland's got to worry about defending. And when I look at this series for the Knicks, my biggest fear is their ability to score enough. This is the time of year we hit, Danny, where the lifeblood of playoff offense is sources of easy buckets. And for the Knicks, they got, you know, the source of easy buckets are simple. It's either Randall inside or getting out in transition. The Knicks played, you know, they, they were the sixth slowest team in the league this year, but the third-ranked team in offensive efficiency. But the play against the Cavs, they're going to have to get out and run a little bit and get some easy buckets. I will tell you, I, it's, gonna be, it's, hard to, it's hard to speed the Cavs up. The Cavs are, they were the slowest team in the league. They played very deliberate this year. So that's my large concern here. Where's the source of easy buckets? And I think Isaac Okoro guarding Jalen Brunson may be an issue for the Knicks here. That's the matchup to watch. That's probably the most important matchup in this entire series. Isaac Okoro, a guy who's missed some time here last few weeks with an ankle. He's as good a perimeter defender as they have. That's a great point, and we'll see what his status is. But what, what about the Randall situation? And, and, and I guess the question is this. if he And look, we know he's not going to be 100%. Can he, in your opinion, still go out there, even if he's, let's say, 75%, and still find a way to help this team win a series, even if he's not the guy that's going to be taking his 20 to 25 shots and getting you 20 and 10? Yeah, absolutely. His presence is vital, Dan. And I say that for this reason. You know, he's going to draw Evan Mobley in a matchup. Al will spend some time on him. But the one of those guys that has to guard him will be a less effective help defender because they have to worry about Randall. Randall's presence is really important. If you don't have Randall there, all due respect to Obi Toppin, no one's worried about Obi Toppin. 
Okay, period. No one is worried about Obi Toppin on the Cavs. That's it's just not that's not based on any kind of reality if you think they are. So they and and for the Knicks, you know, this is a team that has two seven footers up front, Mobley and Allen. So if you don't have Randall, your best option is going to be to play small. And yep. if you're going to play small, that's tough against this team. And the other part about it is having both Mobley and Allen available as as health defenders is going to be damaging. Because I'll say this. You know, I talk about scoring points, and I talk about Brunson. R.J. Barrett's a very important player in the series, too. On the offensive end of the floor, more than the defensive end of the floor. If they end up going small and not having Randall, that means that Barrett's essentially playing small ball four for you. He'll draw Mobley in a matchup. And Mobley's one, Mobley in a second-year player, it's amazing, is one of the best defensive players in the league. He will shut down R.J. Barrett easily and, so, and be available as a help defender also. So getting back to your question, Randall's presence is absolutely vital on multiple fronts for this basketball team. If not Randall and Brunson, who we agree, of course, are the two guys. And look, the Knicks are a much deeper team than we saw that went out against the Hawks a couple of years ago, right? The heart pickup has been instrumental. Grimes has improved. You still have Mitchell Robinson. But is, is Arge and Emmanuel quickly certainly the boost that he's given them as a six-man off the bench? You're still thinking RJ is that next guy that has to perform for this team to have a chance? Has to. Has to. That's the – you know – Here's, and, and Jeff Van Gundy made this point to me about a month ago on my radio show, and it's, it's worthwhile repeating. Mm-hmm. He, could, could the Knicks, could Knicks ask for any more out of Randall this season? The answer is no. Could the Knicks ask for any more out of Brunson this, year, this season? The answer is no. If the Knicks are going to take this to another level and as a lower seed beat a very good Cavaliers team, they're going to do it because R.J. Barrett's going to have been a better offensive player than he's been in the past. He's going to have, and, and I can't, I don't want to use the term raise his game because I think that's a generic term that's really nonspecific. And, and I don't like that term even in the slightest. But he's going to have to do things that he just doesn't normally do. And when I say that, what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that maybe use your right hand going to the basket more because everybody's playing a half left. And so many times when he's not finishing or not getting good shots on penetration, it's because he's sticking left. The other thing is don't fall in love with the three when it's not falling. Play the game from the mid-range a little bit. Like, there's things that RJ needs to do better and do more efficiently that he's well capable of doing. But for whatever reason, he just mentally, in spots and games, doesn't use these valuable weapons he has. RJ Barrett has a right hand. He just doesn't use the right hand. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and, and that really is part of the issue. One other thing, and this is kind of a catch-all general statement about the Knicks. You mentioned two years ago where they lost in the first round to the Hawks. This is a very different basketball team, Danny. All right, And, and you got to understand that. This team, the nine players in this rotation that Tom plays, have an average age of 24.7 years. The Knicks just won 47 games in a very tough conference. Truth of the matter is, Knicks, and I don't think the Knicks are going to get swept, they could get swept in this series, and it's been a successful season. They're loaded with picks and assets. they got all these good young players. Guys are growing and getting better. There's so much room for growth. Whatever happens here for this series, I, I, I want to implore Nick fans, this is a success. This is a team on the come. This is a team on the rise. So whatever happens here, the Knicks getting to this point has been largely successful for this group.
So wait a sec. So you're actually giving the head coach a lot of credit. I mean, BG, you got to be careful. That could spoil the narrative that a lot of these Nick fans have where they just like to dump on the head coach regardless of how many games they win. You know better than that. Come on, BG. Listen, you know me. You know me. Okay, you can get me to dump on a lot of head coaches in this league, Danny, and I don't even need to be set up and baited that much. Tom Thibodeau is not a head coach I'm ever going to dump on. I have said this before about him in the past, and I will continue to say it. This is one of the best pure basketball coaches on the planet, X's and O's wise. And he has done a superb job this year. And, and make no mistake about it, Tom favors vets. But he was given a mandate to play young guys. And look what happened when he did. Look how – I mean, quickly he's going to be the runner-up. If not, I don't think he's going to win the most improved award, but he's going to come close to winning. And I'm going to probably go to Bra- – I'm, I'm sorry, the uh, um, six-man of the six year man. award. But six-man. But as an improved player, quickly he's up there as one of the most improved guys in the league. He's been absolutely terrific. Um, you know, you look at what's happened with young guys. Quentin Grimes has made a major jump on the defensive end of the floor. He's been so much better. Barrett's the one frustration in all this that he hasn't gotten. He's improved, but he hasn't improved to the extent that they wanted him to. You look at what happened with this Knicks team and this Knicks defense when Mitchell Robinson came back from injury. Everything changed. That's a guy that's gotten a lot better and doesn't foul like he used to. This is all for Tom. Tom it's on Tom. Tom did this. Tom has worked with these guys. So, yeah, I listen, the coaching's been tremendous. Everything right now about the Knicks, regardless of the result of the series, is on the rise and looks good. Brian Geltz on their NBA radio, our guest here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, we know from a Cleveland standpoint, Mitchell's going to get his. I mean, that, that's fait complete. He's going to do his thing. Give me a scenario right now that would spell doom for the Knicks in this series, but from a Cleveland perspective. Like, what's going to happen or what could happen that the Cavs are going to do here, which maybe you don't expect that would really put a nail into the Knicks' chances here? So, if I'm the Cavs, I want to play this slow. We're a slow-tempo team. That's our identity. That's who we are. But I am going to look to play a whole lot of isolation with both Garland and Mitchell. And I'm going to be looking to roll whoever Randall is guarding into pick and rolls. So those are my two strategies if I'm the Cavs. Because, number one, I, listen, I think Grimes is going to guard Mitchell. He can't guard him. And Mitchell's the best player in the series, and yeah. I don't even think it's close. Um, so, and I think he's going to struggle. I think Barrett's going to guard Garland, and I think in space that's a struggle for R.J. Barrett. He's long and he's athletic, but Darius Garland is a really good player off the bounce. He's a guy that will shoot. That's the odd thing about the Cavs. Garland and Mitchell will take mid-range jumpers off the dribble, and they're good at them. So, to me, I, that's, that, those are the matchups that the Knicks are really going to struggle with. If I'm the Cavs, I want to isolate those matchups. And the Cavs are going to take their time walking the ball up the floor. That's the other thing. Listen, when you get into the paint and you're the Cavs, because Mobley is so long and so good in the paint, because Allen has a, a unique understanding of where to be in terms of providing guys like Garland and especially Mitchell a lot of space and is really good around the basket to dunk. Like, the problem is you're going to have to help off Mobley and especially Allen to be able to deal with Mitchell and Garland. And if you're going to start to help off Mobley and Allen, they'll kill you in the paint and around the basket and in the restricted area. They will kill you. So if I'm the Cavs, that's my whole thing pick and roll with Randall and isolate and make them commit extra defensive resources towards Mitchell and Garland and then just watch everything open up in the paint. All right, let's flip over to the Nets here for a second. We know that they don't have any answers for Embiid, but not many teams do, and that's probably why he's going to win an MVP here. 
Best case scenario, what do you think is realistic for the Nets in terms of extending this series? About how far? I picked the Sixers in five. Um, but I, I, I do think, see, the one thing that the Nets have going for them here is all of this depth with length and the really good defensive players, individual defenders they have. Bridges is one of the best defenders in the league. Dorian Finney-Smith is an excellent defensive player. Um, Nick Claxton, he's going to get killed by Embiid, but he switches really well onto guys on the perimeter and plays those guys. Well, Cam Johnson's a good defensive player. Royce O'Neal's a good defensive player. So I think they can do a very good job on the Hardens and the Harrises of the world, and even Maxie. I think they're all equipped to guard those guys. The guy they can't guard is Embiid. So my point being is, it, it, can Embiid beat you alone? The answer is yes, absolutely. He can beat you alone. But that's going to be the Nets' best chance is to work on shutting everyone else down, keeping Embiid in single coverage, and saying, heck, if Embiid can get 50, but if we can stay in games and a couple of plays go our way late, we got a chance to steal one here and steal one there. The be- I don't think the Nets, there's any chance the Nets win the series. Best case scenario is they push the Sixers to seven. But I'll also say this about this young Nets group. Mm-hmm. It is really hard when you have to retool a roster like they did at the trade deadline. On the they fly. Two, on the fly, two excellent trades. The value they got for Irving and Durant is off the charts. This is a really good young team that just needs time to gel and work together with a good coach. My point being is even taking two from the Sixers here is going to be great experience for this team and be a launching pad into some interesting roster moves I think we'll see this offseason because the Nets are not far away and have a lot of picks and a lot of players that they can use to upgrade this roster and the experience that the guys are still that are still here that they get is going to be invaluable next year for this next team. I think there's another team. I think both of these local teams are on the come, man. I really do. I like what I'm seeing. And this is going to be a little bit tougher for the Nets here than for the Knicks. I think it's going to be tough for the Knicks too. But I think the Nets are, the experience is going to be incredibly valuable for this group. I give them credit for finishing even in the top six because I thought once they stripped this thing down, and, and maybe this is a byproduct of the rest of the Eastern Conference not really seeming very interested this year, but I give the Nets credit, and like you said, this experience will help them moving forward when they continue to add to this group over the next year or so or whatever it is. Um, real quick, let's and close Danny, out on one this one. other thing real yeah. quick, Danny. Sure. Bridges is a star. Bridges is a star. Bridges has showed he was a guy that could only get the ball on catch and shoots and cuts when he was in Phoenix, and he showed as a guy to put the ball in his hands for pick and roll, and he will make things happen. Tell you, you talk about a diamond in the rough to a certain extent, getting that piece back, and now you can use that as maybe a guy as a foundational type player moving forward for you. I don't know about these former Villanova guys in this marketplace that are doing some good things, BG. You know, it seems like we're littered with them here with Hart and Brunson and Bridges. Um, Sounds like you're siding with Cleveland in this series, no? I'm taking Cleveland in seven. I think the the Knicks, you know, I've had a lot of guys say this to me over the years. My radio partner, Sam Mitchell, says it to me all the time. I hear Jeff Van Gundy say it all the time. You talk to coaches all around the world on whatever level, playing hard is a skill. And it's a skill that the Knicks have. 
the Knicks are going to come out and there will be nothing lacking in terms of energy and work ethic. They're a wonderfully conditioned team, and they will run with the Cavs and do what they have to do and, and move their feet on defense, and there's no laziness with this group. And I think in this kind of matchup, that'll count for a lot here. They're going to be able to meet the Cavs' athleticism even if they can't meet their size. Will it be enough to win the series? Probably not. But I'm giving the Knicks the benefit of the doubt with this, and I think they can stretch this thing to seven. So I, I picked the Cavs in seven in the series. We'll see what happens. It should be a good one nonetheless. BG, always appreciate a couple of minutes, my friend. Should be a lot of fun here. We'll catch up again real soon. Enjoy these games, though, right, bud? I definitely will, Danny. Always my pleasure, buddy. You take care. You'll be good. There's our pal Brian Geltziler. You hear him on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Does an outstanding job. All right. A lot of things we still got to check off the list over the next 40 minutes or so. We got to get into the baseball from last night, but plenty of your phone calls, whatever you want to talk about here, the hockey, the basketball, the baseball even, all up for grabs, 800-919-3776. Dan Grasso Show till the top right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Howard's driven deep to left field. Going back, Castro. Track, wall. First home run in the big leagues. Anthony Volpe gives the Yankees a 1-0 lead. Hey, that's Michael Kay. That was the Yes Network. That came from Friday night. Anthony Volpe, first career home run. And you know what? It's time for MLB Round Trippers, driven by Coach USA. And that is why, of course, we play the Anthony Volpe home run. Volpe goes yard, first time in his big league career. Congratulations to him. Gets to keep the ball. Little souvenir. Stanton goes deep last night, his fourth of the season. Judge, his fifth. But the Yanks don't win. It's actually one of the few times that Judge and Stanton have both homered in the same game where the Yanks don't find a way to come out victorious. Also, in the Met game, you had Lindor hit a grand salami Give them a 6-0 lead early, which they were able to hang on and win in just a, a, a nightmare of a game if you stayed with it. And that's the MLB Round Trippers driven by Coach USA. Make your commute to the city easy on a Coach USA bus. For schedules and fares, go to CoachUSA.com or download the Coach USA app to buy, store, and scan your tickets. As far as the baseball's concern from last night, with the Yankees, like I said, I, I, I couldn't remember the last time that they lost two straight games to the Minnesota Twins because they have owned this team for pretty much the last 20 years. They've won 14 of the last 16 series that they've played against Minnesota. They were 98-38 and 38 against this team. Think about that. 60 games over 500 in the last 20 years. And now they come up on the short end here in the first two games of the series. They could still get a split if they win today and tomorrow. Don't know uh, if today's game is going to be disrupted in any way because there's a threat of rain pretty much all afternoon. I mean, if they start this thing on time, maybe they can get it in with minimal disruption, but we'll see. Uh, nevertheless, you just got to get back to winning some games here. And Carlos Correa had himself a big night, which, you know, if you're a Met fan, you wish was happening in your uniform, but... Not to be because, of course, failed physical and so on and so forth here. But, look, a lot of people are going to pin this thing on Clay Holmes. A lot of people are going to sit here and point the finger at Aaron Boone and say, well, why did you go to Clay Holmes in that situation, an inning early? Well, look, that's, that's what managers are doing nowadays. Buck does it all the time. And the way the matchup and the way the batting order was lined up for Minnesota, you had those righties coming up at the top of the order. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go with my guy. Righty-righty matchup, even though it's not the ninth inning. Make it happen. So what? 
Try to get the three outs. You know, move the game along. It's the way managers go about attacking lineups late in games now. It's not something so unforeseen, but it backfired on them, and you tip your cap to the other team, and the Yanks get a tough one uh, last night, 4-3 to three, to Minnesota. They're back at it this afternoon. Domingo Herman seeing if he is, ba- um, you know, capable of turning things around. He had a little bit of a shaky one last time out here in We'll see what happens the afternoon. Tyler Malley going from Minnesota. He's hittable. I mean, the Yankees should, uh, you know, get this thing going this afternoon, and, you know, we shall see. We're not pressing any sort of panic buttons, of course, when you're talking about this club. Um, Anthony was at the game last night. H- how was the experience overall? Was that, that was the first one for the season, right? Yeah, my first one for the season. It was good. Um, I know people say that it seems fast. I, I guess maybe in between pitches it feels fast, but last night's game, Dan, as you know, was – all basically home runs and strikeouts. So it felt like a game from last year. It just happened to take two hours and ten minutes. That's um, all it was? I didn't even look at the game time. It 210. Was it was 210. So wow. you, you definitely feel that you leave the, the ballpark earlier. Um, one thing I, I know for sure, you better get there early if you want to get anything to eat or, you know, have to use the bathroom. It, it'll You'll miss some time if you try and go get something. And you couldn't really expand your palate because the lines were crazy, and you had to oh kind yeah. Of just this, but first of all, the... standard hot dog anyway at the ball game. I mean, you know, you get that out of the way. But it's always it's it's got to be hot dog plus what else? If I was there before it? the game, cheesy garlic bread maybe. The new cheesy garlic bread apparently is the uh, is maybe the Judge Burger. <laughs> wait, wait. A so they have cheating, and you say it's new. It's new cheesy garlic bread. Well, it's just like you know every, every the, the Mets did it too. They they put out their new items for the year. And they come Isn't up with, amazing? oh, let's, let's get a really big chicken sandwich with a donut as a bun. It's like, oh, all right. Well, well no, but the, the cheesy garlic bread thing, it's like, gotta love you it. You know, we've evolved as a society, I think, pretty well. You know, we've made it to 2023 and we're still going strong. That it's taken them this long with all these new items that you can introduce on the menu at a ballpark. And they say, wait a sec, what don't we have? Hey, let's get some garlic bread. Let's put some cheese on it. A little cup let's of marinara sauce with it. It's unbelievable. Cheesy garlic bread. Who would have thought? So great. Really feeding into the fan base. That's that's see what you did there, feeding. Ah, see that, yeah. And then yeah. only 199 Judge Burgers a game. Can you believe that? Yeah, what it, I, I saw that on opening day, like because I saw there it was, was 99, like a, and they're like, we should expand it. Let's make it 199. Now, what does the Judge Burger have? I think it's got Wagyu it's... beef on it, Ooh. a special sauce, this type of thing. So oh. I can understand why you can't, you know, have pounds of Wagyu everywhere. I mean, the Yankees can, but I can understand why as a as a place that makes food, you don't want to just have that sitting around, say somebody doesn't order it. But 199 I mean, you better be like, you better run to the place and get right online. You better be there when gates open, go get that burger, because you're probably not getting it. How about the Wagyu meatballs? I got the Wagyu meatballs. Oh, well, listen, that's different. That's, I mean, that's that's a whole other category. We know where, that, we know where that's from. Oh, love the Wagyu meatballs. It's my story. Tremendous. Tremendous. Uh, so, Yanks, we'll see if they can get it going here against Minnesota. And by the way, real quick on Minnesota, I-, I tweeted this out the other night. I don't like the new uniforms. I really don't. Like, there was nothing wrong with the Twins uniforms. They had that kind of, like, classic look, but maybe, like, a little bit of a modern splash to it. I-, I-, I hate these new uniforms. I hate them. They look like that. the new M logo that they have on their hat. It, it reminds me too much of what the Marlins M used to look like on their hat. It just doesn't, like, they, they had, like, the Oh, perfect... yeah, I see what you're talking about. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see it. Like, do we need that? 
Like, I know everybody wants to sell, 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 and have people buy all the new things, but, did, like, did the Twins really feel they had to rebrand their uniforms? They were fine. There was nothing wrong with them. The TC thing, the interlocking, like, that, that's their logo. If they were in a change, I mean, hell, they could have went back to the ones that they used to wear, like, in the 80s and the 90s. I would have had no problem with that. Aren't most of these jersey changes unnecessary, though? No, they're awful. They're awful. And I can't wait to see the crap that I think there's a handful of teams this year. I want to say five that are going to have new City Connect uniforms that, of course, Nike has a big hand in. Great. I, I can't wait to, wait to see what garbage that is. Not the Mets or the Yankees, though. Well, you know my thoughts on most alternate jerseys. They're not I, good. I don't like any of them. Except the Jets blacks. Those are very nice. What are those called? Like, what, what's the adjective for black? Is it the not, – not jet black. Is Was it, it the, Midnight? No, that's stealth not. black. Stealth, stealth black. black. That's yes. Stealth rally towel. I remember that. Stealth rally towel. Stealth uniform. Those you read cool. you read that about thirty six times in a pregame. Oh boy, yeah. And that'll be here before you know it, my friend. Hey, draft two weeks away. You know what? I got a little um. I guess I got a couple of tidbits, couple of couple of uh, notables I could share with you as far as the footballs related. We'll do that. When we come back, we'll also take your calls, 800-919-3776. We'll also have a couple of words on the Mets as well. Dan Gross' show till noon right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> Too bad there wasn't a promotion we were doing here, like guess the team that, you know, is going to walk the most. Because if you picked the Mets last night, you probably would have won the grand prize. 17 freaking times they walked thanks to Oakland's inept pitching staff. I mean, that was one of like, that was one of the worst baseball games I think you'll ever see if you stayed up to watch the entire thing. Even if you're a Met fan and your team won by 11 runs, I mean, it was just a slog. Seven, the, the A's, how about this? The A's actually out hit the Mets last night. But the Mets walked 17 times, scored 17 runs, and, and they win a laugh. For Oakland is such a bad, like, I don't even think there's anything good that you could take of it from the Mets. Because everything that you accomplish, you take it with a grain of salt because the A's are just that bad. They're, they're not a good baseball team. I mean, this is a, they could lose in the neighborhood of 120 games this year. That's how awful they are. And if you're the Mets, that's why you got to go out there and, and, and try to get a few of these wins and put them in your pocket and move on. And today is not exactly going to be one for the Baseball Hall of Fame. You got Carrasco going for the Mets, who, by the way, is kind of like every time he takes the ball, you sit there now and you wonder, boy, what are you getting? You know, confidence has got to be at an all-time low with this guy right now. I, I, I don't know where this thing is headed. And today he's going up against um, the Japanese import Fujinama for Oakland. I, don't, I, I know it's still early in the season and pitchers still have a little bit of a, a bloated ERA, but this might set a record. We should get, like, the Elias Sports Bureau on this or something like that. My pal Sarah Langs. This might be the combined highest ERA that we've ever seen for two starting pitchers in a baseball game. I don't care what time of the calendar the game is played. Fujinama's ERA is 17.5. Carrasco's is 11.4. So combined, they have like a 29 ERA for this start this afternoon. That should be a lot of fun. Out there at the Coliseum in front of a few family and friends. Just win the game. Right, you're the Mets. Just win the damn game, move on. You give the ball to Scherzer tomorrow, and take a few victories before you continue on this West Coast trip against the Dodgers and the Giants, because it's only going to get that much tougher here. Couple of things, real quick, with baseball before we get back to the phone calls. 
Rays finally lose last night. They lose to Toronto. So uh, they're going to have to settle for tying the modern record for most victories to start a season without losing. So they are now 13-1. and one. Jays get the job done against them. That's number one. Number two, how about with this whole pitch clock world that we live in right now? Want to speed the game up? Want to speed the game up? No ifs, ands, or buts. Got to keep the game moving. Cubs are playing the Dodgers last night at Dodger Stadium. Okay? Cody Bellinger is a member of the Cubs. Signed as a free agent in the offseason. Remember, he helped the Dodgers win a world championship. Won an MVP as a member of the Dodgers. His game has fallen off over the last couple of years. We know that, but still. Goes back to L.A. First time in the batter's box. Gets a warm ovation. You know, Dodger fans like him. He did, he did a lot more good than bad for that franchise. Steps out of the batter's box, tips his cap, you know, as, as all players do when, when they're, you know, being serenaded by a nice ovation, round of applause. You realize they gave Cody Bellinger a, a time clock violation because he took too much time? I mean, come on. Like, read the room. And I would hope that the powers that be at Major League Baseball sent out an email this morning, you know, when things like this happen, that the home plate umpire should use his discretion and maybe not issue something in violation of the time clock. I mean, come on. Like, what are we doing? And speaking of the time clock, did you see that baseball put out the facts and figures over the first two weeks of the regular season? With the pitch clock and the games are about a half an hour faster on average as opposed to this time last year. Runs are up about a run and a half per game. So, so far, the things that baseball wanted to have, more action, more offense, all those things, it's happened. You know, it's happening, and not too many people have taken exception to it. Unless you have that strange outlier like last night with the Mets, which was still a three-and-a-half-hour disaster, and it only went nine innings because Oakland is just that bad and didn't know how to pitch. Anyway, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Richard's in Manhattan. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Hello, Richard. Hi, Dan. Uh, you know, I love the NBA play-in. I think it's fantastic. It's short and sweet. The teams, the first six teams get a week rest, a five or six days rest, which is great. Not too much, not too long. Puts pressure on the teams that won because they got to come right back and play, and there was pressure, you know. It was great. It's great. I think it's a great thing that they keep in. And at the end of the season, it keeps a lot of other teams interested. And then to embellish your point about the Nets, mm-hmm. if they made the trade, if the Durant left, if somebody said the Nets are going to finish with a better record than the L.A. Clippers, the L.A. Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, and the Golden State Warriors, if somebody said that to you, how much would you give them? A thousand to one? Five thousand to one? Yeah, probably not great odds. But but see, here's the thing, Richard. If you if like you read between the lines though and realize why that happened, it's because those other teams were completely Doesn't matter. disinterested. Yeah, the facts. Are the facts. Right? When you win a bet, you win a bet, and you don't have right. to say, "Well, it was because it is." No, but but, that. but but that's the reality though is that those other teams didn't even try to win games because they well, rested we, all their guys so many times and they were, they were injured. They just they on the Western Conference, those teams just wanted to get in the playoffs and then start the season anew, starting right. today. Two more quickies, Dan. First yeah. one: Do you take the Bruins or you take the field in the entire NHL? Yeah, of course, the field. Believe it or not, believe it or not, I will Don't tell take, me you take the Bruins. 
No, I'm taking the field. The field, of course. That I'm makes sense. Whether they do it or not, it still makes sense. It'd be a stupid move to take the Bruins, but that's how good and dominating you have to think about. It. All right, let's talk about You know about why? This. You know, I'll give you a simple reason why. And just An injury, for, maybe. No, forget about the rest of the NHL just from a Bruins standpoint. And what would concern me even ever so slightly, even though the guy's going to win the Vesna this year, Linus Allmark in the playoffs. I'm not convinced. All right. Okay. Now, we have five New York teams going to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, all five cannot advance to the second round. All right? You understand that, right? Correct. Okay. So, we have one that will definitely go to the second round. Mm-hmm. That leaves the other three. Would you say it's 50-50 that one of the three go to the second round or less than 50-50? Next, 50-50. Islanders and, and Knicks. 50-50. You'd go 50-50. Mm-hmm. Maybe, even slightly, maybe even slightly more than 50-50. Really? Yeah. You're that convinced one of the three will get into the second round? Because I don't think Carolina's unbeatable for the Islanders. That's number one. I think the Knicks have a hell of a shot against Cleveland. The Nets, okay. I give no shot. Okay. Okay. And, Dan, I, I mentioned this to uh, Michael K. yesterday. Let me run it by you. Mm-hmm. What Cuban did. Now, Cuban did the NBA a favor because they're going to have to do something about this. And it's not because it's cheating. It's because they're cheating the fans. Anytime you do – you know, as a fan, there are two things I hate either tanking or games that don't mean anything. Now, I understand at the end of the season, like NFL games, sometimes the team has nothing to play for, and they don't play their start. There's nothing you can do, but that's few and far between. That's the last game of the season. But what Cuban did was obvious, and he did the NBA a favor. This is how I would correct it. You pick a date in the NBA season, let's say March 25th, arbitrary date, March 25th. From that date on, you keep a record. It's called the draft record of every team in the NBA, separate record. And at the end of the season, the teams that are in the lottery or have the worst records, you see which team had the best record from March 25th on. And that team gets the most ping pong balls. So in other words, they have something to play for at the end of the season. Now you'll say to me, Ma, they could have tanked during the season and all that. You can't prevent that. And sometimes if you tank early, how do you know that you'll get better and you'll be able well, to turn it on at the end? So but, I think that's a best detriment. Just play hard at the end of the year because all fans want to see a good games. It's almost, it's the worst to watch meaningless games. Then one last quickie. A couple of years ago, the Yankees played the Red Sox, and it was something with, a, with playoff implications. The Yankees didn't care whether they won it or lost. It just meant that Boston would get the home field. As it turned out, the Yankees lost, they, and they lost the game in home field, a single-game playoff. But they didn't care. They sent in a relief. That's the worst thing for a fan is to watch a game when you see a team is not trying their hardest. And you got to prevent it because the fans are number one. And what Cuban did, he's kicking sand in the fans' faces. You can't do that. You have to have some sort of thing to change. Dan, always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Richard, thank you. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying about how it's bad for the fans. It's awful. As far as your theory about, you know, the, you know, put a line of demarcations, you know, since March 25th or whatever the record is, you can't do that either because what happens if you end up losing games inadvertently? Like, what, look, like look at the Knicks. They suffer an injury to their best player in Julius Randle. Like, what if a team, you know, loses an important player like that to an injury and their performance drops off, which is usually what's going to happen when you lose an important member of your team? 
So, I mean, there is no perfect way to slice it, but what here's the thing about the, the situation with Dallas and Cuban. The NBA were the ones that let him off easy. You really think that $750,000 means anything to Mark Cuban? Anything at all? Really? The bottom line is nothing happened to the pick. So everything that Dallas tried to do just to ensure that they would still have that draft choice by mailing it in the last couple of games of the season, they still have the pick. And the only thing they're out is seven hundred and fifty grand, which Mark Cuban could care less. He won't even know it's gone. Won't even know it's gone. So if you're trying to send a stern message, guess what? The NBA shot an air ball. And guess who suffers for that? The Knicks. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. We'll close it out on the phones. Also, we'll come back in just a couple of tidbits here as we get closer to draft day in the NFL. Dan Grasso Show till the top right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN. A couple of more minutes, then we're going to get ready to pass the baton, and I'm going to head off into the weekend. Anita's coming up next. She'll go till 3 o'clock. Then our good buddy Ty Butler takes you from 3 right until Nick's pregame at 5.30. The great Pat O'Keefe will have that for you. Ed Cohen, John Wallace have the call beginning at 6 o'clock. Nick's Cavaliers right here on 98.7. And then I believe when the game is over, Pat's going to do a little wrap-up show for you. So we got you covered wire to wire right here on 98.7. Now, if you're looking for the rest of the NBA playoff stuff, like if that's your thing, 10.50, I believe, we'll have the NBA playoffs on all afternoon, I think. Nets and Sixers get it underway at 1 o'clock. Atlanta and Boston at 3.30. Then the Knicks, of course, at 6. And then when that is through, you get Golden State and Sacramento at 8.30. Those are the four games uh, on this Saturday in the NBA playoffs. Yankees-Twinkies at 1 o'clock over at the stadium as the Yanks try to Get back in the wind column and just, you know, kind of get their senses back that, hey, we used to own the Twins. Domingo Herman gets the ball against Tyler Malley. And then the Mets, 4 o'clock start today, Carrasco Fujinama out at the uh, mausoleum out there in Oakland to see if they can continue to beat up on the hapless Oakland A's. Real quick, look, we're, we're still two weeks away from the draft, and, you know, maybe it's the fact that, We've been so consumed by the Aaron Rodgers stuff, and maybe it's the fact that we got all our hockey teams in the playoffs and the basketball teams in the playoffs that, you know, we haven't really talked a lot of draft. And it seems like it's kind of just like, you know, just lying there on the side of the road a little bit. And maybe also the fact that, you know, the earliest one of our two teams are picking is 13th. Like, we don't have the Jets and the Giants picking in the top five this year or in the top ten. So maybe the anticipation isn't there as much. I checked in with a couple of folks yesterday, as a matter of fact. First of all, on the Rodgers stuff, and I hate to beat a dead horse here, there really is no news. Um, not a lot is being spoken about it. So we sit, we watch, we wait. I wish I had something more groundbreaking for you, but unfortunately, that's the reality right now. Secondly, and this is applies potentially to the Rodgers stalemate, talking to somebody who I trust very much, and has had a long career in the NFL. And getting ready for this draft, told me that this is the weakest draft, top to bottom, pound for pound, as far as overall talent is concerned, maybe in 30 years. And you might have heard rumblings about that, maybe you know along the way from others, but like I said, I trust the hell out of this person. 30 years, worst draft he's seen. That being said, Let's reevaluate it from a Packers perspective. 
about the draft capital that they maybe want to get from the Jets. Would you want extra draft picks for this draft, which is not a very good one? Or do you want the draft capital maybe for next year's draft in 2024 and to be able to take a couple of extra swings at the pinata when the rewards might be a little bit greater with the talent pool? And maybe that also could be haggling a little bit in the back and forth as to what the Jets are willing to give up and vice versa. So that's something to keep in mind because, again, um, maybe there aren't as many gems in 2023 as there likely could be in 2024. But you know what? Beauty is in the behind of the beholder when it comes to talent evaluation, is it not? That's going to do it for us, though. Thanks to Brian Geltzeiler. Thank you to Dan Rosen for joining us today. Thanks to Anthony Pusick for getting up early and joining us this morning, as well as Joe Leo. I will talk to you again. Well, I'll talk to you again soon. Anita's coming up next. Enjoy the playoffs, everybody. Dan Grass is saying so long on 98.7 ESPN.